The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Okay, friends. It's lovely to be back with you. And today's reflection, I'd like to start off a three-part series. I'm here for the next three weeks and wanted to take advantage of that to offer um, kind of an unfolding series of reflections on um, Ayoniso Manisakara and Yoniso Manisakara, or there's various translations for this, careless or unwise attention versus profound wise attention or wise contemplation. This is a perspective woven through the Buddha's teachings. He often uses the language or synonyms for this capacity of mind. And it's also woven through the root teacher of the style of meditation, this chittanupasanam, or um, allowing recognition of the mind, heart, and mental arisings. That's taught by Sayado Utejaniya. Sayado Utejaniya, one of my root teachers. And um, this series is going to be about the contrast between these in terms of our embodied relationship to experience. So it's not just thinking about experience, but relating in an embodied way to thoughts, emotions, general disposition, attitude of mind. As I mentioned, this is woven throughout Sayadaw Tejaniya's teachings. And he his translation for this term, Yoniso Manasikara, is right attitude. And he talks about it a lot. This is from Dhamma Everywhere, one of his books. And um, so please check your attitude before you begin sitting meditation. What kind of underlying ideas are you meditating with? Do you only want a peaceful state? Or do you want to learn to understand what is happening? The mind can't be cool and calm if you want certain experiences other than what is happening in the present moment. So he talks about the fact that there's no need to go around forcing the mind or the heart to know something because it's already being known. And he goes on to say, no experience is a disturbance or a distraction as all experiences are dharma nature. There are nature. That only works if there is wise attitude, if we have a learning mindset towards what's arising, rather than what should or shouldn't be happening in this moment. He goes on to say, everything is happening because of cause and effect. Our work is to have the right attitude, this wise attention, Yoniso Manasikara, to maintain awareness, mindfulness, to use our intelligence in meditation. It's okay to bring all of yourself and above all, be interested. So those that's a little synopsis of some of his words on this. I like the translation best, profound attention. 
profound attention to what's arising. So part one of the series today will be on a few words about wrong attitude, as the Buddha calls it, ayoniso um, manasakara, towards thoughts of sensuality or sensual experience, ill will and harming. And I'm going to mainly focus on those last two, because next week, I'll, I'll be drawing from another sutta, another discourse that talks a lot more about our relationship to sensual experience. And then um, the third week will be the contrast of careless attention, unwise attention, with profound attention regarding our views, our opinions. So that's the map for the next few weeks. And um, as I mentioned a moment ago, I'll just offer a few words about thoughts or disposition around ill will, harming, aversion today, and how it's possible to have an unwise relationship or a wise relationship when that's happening. And the source text I'm drawing from for this, other than my own experience, is in the Connected Discourses, and it is a discourse called Unwholesome Thoughts, or Ayoniso Manasikara. Unwholesome is Ayoniso Manasikara is attention, versus Yoniso Manasikara. And it talks about here a practitioner, a monk back in the Buddha's day, a bhikkhu, was um, in a certain woodland thicket. And he's dwelling there, and it's very common back in that day and age to meditate outside in the woods. So there's a little bit of um, privacy. And on that occasion, he had gone there for the day's meditation, and he just kept thinking these awful thoughts of hostility, thoughts of ill will, evil, unwholesome thoughts, Bhikkhu Bodhi translates it. He's just assailed by them, bothered by them, as well as thoughts of sensual desire, you know, favorite treat or whatever. Can any of us relate to this? Have you ever had a meditation where it seems like it just doesn't stop, right? We've all been there. So in this, what I consider to be somewhat like a, the bhikkhu's vision, the monk's vision, or um, a mythologically a deva, a woodland spirit, has compassion on him, another dweller, and comes to say this to him, because of attending carelessly, you, sir, are eaten by your thoughts, are eaten by your thoughts. Having relinquished the careless way, meaning having gone in meditation into this life practice, the careless way, you should turn around and reflect carefully. Bring profound attention to this. So the alternative this being gives the practitioner is to focus on instead the inspiration of awakening, the Buddha, on thoughts of practice or on thoughts of teaching and on inspiring people, wise friends, community, concord. So it's an intentional turning. That's one way of addressing this, right? 
abandoning that which doesn't work and intentionally turning the mind towards something else. And there are many, many teachings about this, right? I'll talk about some other ways of addressing this a little bit later. But meanwhile, I want to give another example, lest any of us feel like we are unique in this being eaten by unwholesome thoughts issue of um, a practitioner who um, back in the Buddhist time had the honor of being his attendant for a while, his regular attendant, his cousin, Ananda, wasn't around. And this practitioner, a relatively young monk, Megiya, was attending to the Buddha. And the thing about this is it's kind of an honor, right, to attend to the Buddha. But Megiya decides after they've gone on alms rounds, you know, I'd rather go meditate on that beautiful mango grove we saw. And so he asks the Buddha about this. And the Buddha's like, no, this isn't a good time. You know, wait till someone else comes to be with me. But Magia persists and asks a second and a third time. And the Buddha says, okay, go do as you see fit. Go do it. Well, it may not be a surprise to anyone that after having had this kind of interaction with someone that you respect, what happens when he goes sits in that mango grove? It's not good. It's not like all peace and light and, you know, concentration and warm feelings. It's all of these thoughts, maybe regret, remorse, and then all of the layers that we put on top of something that maybe we shouldn't have done, you know, projection, ill will, aversion, not necessarily at the Buddha, but just in general. And all of this starts stirring up this young man's mind. And so he gives up after a few hours and he comes back to the Buddha and he reports, you know, it's amazing. I went into this life, dedicated myself to this life, and I go sit in this beautiful grove and all this awful stuff, I'm paraphrasing, of course, comes up. And the Buddha gives a teaching on it, which I'll give another time, but he ends it with a poem, which I wanted to share. Little Thoughts. Subtle thoughts, when followed, stir up the heart. Not comprehending the thoughts of the heart, one runs here and there, the mind out of control. But comprehending thoughts of the heart, one who is ardent, mindful, restrains them. When followed, they stir up the heart, but one awakened, lets them go without a trace. One awakened, lets them go without a trace. And here the Buddha is, I imagine, referring to himself as the awakened one, and also referring to those moments of awakening. Ah, this is happening. And when we see that thought of ill will, that thought of fear, that thought of pushing away as an amazing, as an event, it's so much easier to let it go, right? Like not seen, they got us by the nose, but seen, letting go can happen. So, and finally, 
this is a reflection, another poem by the Buddha on sort of what happens when aversion gets out of control. And this comes from a translation by Gil Fronstel of uh, the Book of Eight, the Atakavaga, which is by many scholars thought to be some of the very earliest recordings of the Buddha's teachings, maybe early in his teaching practice. It's the Atadanda Sutta, Discourse on Being Violent. Violence gives birth to fear, he writes. Just look at people and their fights. I will speak of my dismay and the way I was shaken. Seeing people thrashing about like fish in little water and seeing them feuding with each other, I became afraid. The world is completely without a core. Everywhere things are changing. Wanting a place of my own, I saw nothing already taken. I felt discontent at seeing conflict, only conflict, to the very end. Then I saw an arrow here, embedded in the heart. When pierced by this arrow, people dash around in all directions. When it's pulled out, they don't run and they don't sink. And so it goes on after that with sort of a recitation. And it's basically saying, look for the arrow. Look for what we're adding to a momentary blip of displeasure, aversion, ill will. And often it becomes something far more, right? It proliferates. It gets stronger. The word assailed by in the earlier discourse. Eaten by unwholesome thoughts. And instead, there's a way to flip the attention to wise attention, rather than the belief, the careless attention of believing these thoughts of violence or actions, impulses towards hostility, ill will. It's possible to attend to awareness, profound attention, noticing the impact, noticing the impact on our body, heart, and mind. I'll read here from, we're here, I read this, some of this the last time I was here from um, practitioners of this form of meditation. Talking about the fact that the practice of lucid awareness of mindfulness will change you. And this practitioner writes, let me get to the right one. My life has not been the same since I began to practice Buddhist meditation. 
what I find is that every moment is a new moment and we can learn from every new experience. Whenever there are no negative mental states, positive ones will automatically come in. So in a way, the mind purifies itself. When, on the contrary, I am suffering from negative mental states, the mind is very busy. I feel exhausted. And my energies get burnt up quickly. So that is one example. There are many. Another practitioner, I'm not finding the quote right now, talks about how she was in a negative interaction with her sibling, her brother, and how she saw her thoughts start to balloon up into justifying to sort of that mental court case we can often have about something. Maybe none of you have ever experienced this, but this argument in the mind, argument with reality, oh, I'm right because da-da-da-da, or they shouldn't have because da-da-da-da. And because she'd been practicing so much, the attention of her mind flipped to noticing that the mind was doing it. And then with the mindfulness so strong, the profound attention, the yoniso manasakara so strong, she didn't have to do anything. It was just noticing the unpleasantness, the impact, and the not usefulness of the process that then the mind settled and became calm. Oh, this isn't necessary. And what do you know, 10, 15 minutes later, half an hour later, thoughts of love and appreciation for her brother came up. And a little bit more perspective, maybe that third perspective, the outsider perspective on the situation, without all those justifications. In other words, discern what's helpful and discern what isn't, right? Notice, notice. Often there's kind of a, Gil Fronstall calls it an ouch. I call it an icky factor in the feeling of anger, ill will, hostility. It can have a sense of power associated with it too, but it's usually a kind of a brittle power, right? And like there's that, justifying, building up, explaining. Whereas when these kinds of difficulties in the mind are met rather than with justification, self-justification, blame, shame, with this profound attention, there can be compassion, discernment. There's no need to shy away, but rather learning from, learning from what's happening because we're all human. This stuff came installed with us, right? And the process of letting it go returns us to a beautiful, more natural, calmer kind of heart and mind. If it's too intense in there, when these kinds of feelings come up, it's okay to back off can wander into a neighborhood of the mind where it's not happening, intentionally change the channel, as I talked about earlier. 
But mainly the encouragement is to come at this with the profound attention, the loving interest, with awareness and wise attention, wise attitude. The system has a kind of intelligence, a movement towards freedom, and things will naturally shift. In closing, for the formal reflection, I'll offer a bit of a poem from a practitioner, Ben Ming. She is a Chan practitioner in ancient China. And she writes, don't you know that afflictions are nothing more than wisdom? But to cling to your afflictions is nothing more than foolishness. As they arise and melt away again, You must remember this. Don't you know that afflictions can be nothing more than wisdom? I would add, seen wisely, seen properly. And that the purest of lotus blossoms emerges from the mire. The purest of blossoms emerges from the milk. If someone were to come ask me what I do, After practicing, eating my rice, I wash my bowl. Don't worry about a thing. Don't worry about a thing. So friends, those are a few reflections on the thoughts, on this contrast between careless or unwise attention Cytotationia calls wrong attitude versus profound attention, wise attention, right attitude. And um, I would be curious if any of you want to share any questions you have, thoughts you might have, reflections from your own practice. This is by no means a complete teaching. I left it wide open for your own wisdom, your own perspective as well. Or if you have questions about the talk, those are welcome too. Yes, Marianne. Hi. Great talk today. I'm glad you're doing this entire series. When you were talking about anger, I've had a situation this last two weeks. A good friend died. And they're just complications with getting her body out of the hospital. And I was given the wrong instructions by one person. And it's just been wheel spinning and wheel spinning. And I realized before I got snarky and lashed out to get calm. And the calmer I was and the more I noticed my annoyance at everybody, everything and the situation. And being asked to perform above what I'm capable of performing, the the sheer frustration. And it didn't happen quickly, but it took me a couple of days to get to that calm compassion of, look, everybody's doing the best they could. It's new experience. I made an assumption that they knew what they were doing. And I was mad at myself for not questioning what I thought was a little wonky. And I had to work through. I realized I was madder at myself. Uh, And, you know, that's where the rumination where I was clinging 
that it's taken a little longer to get through that one of just accepting that it's okay to make mistakes. Why am I setting up that I have to do it so perfect every single time? So I really, the talk was great today about careless wanderings into being annoyed or profound attention and noticing and waiting for a different answer rather than lashing out instantaneously. So thank you, Dawn. Thank you very much, Marianne. And I, I just, I'm curious, and you don't have to share this if it doesn't come easily, but do you remember when it shifted to this recognition that, oh, I matter at myself and I don't need to have these expectations? Do you notice what helped that shift happen? I think being with it and questioning, questioning, you know, inquiring about uh, my feelings, their feelings, what's really happening here, what's really needed. I think there was a lot of questioning. And then when the shift occurred, it was just spontaneous. It was like, poof, here it is. It, it wasn't writing it out or anything. It just arrived. Yes. Yeah. I think inquiring and yes. being Beautiful. interested, I guess, is the word. Yeah. Wonderful. In- yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. So the conditions that helped this profound attention spontaneously arise was that being interested, that inquiry. Yeah. And inquiry. And, And it sounds like, just as we were talking about, I was talking about, it's not like a verbal answer, necessarily. Mm -hmm. It's not a thought out answer. It's wisdom arising. It was total peace and calm. It was total Mm -hmm. acceptance. Just Oh, okay. This, this is it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. The recognition, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you very much for sharing that. And I'm sorry for the loss of your friend. Me too. And I'm sorry for the paperwork and the confusion (laughs) that exists. That common sense seems to go out the window because some manual somewhere says it has to be on the specific form. Um, Yeah, that's how how it is at the moment. I will fill out more forms. Well, then that sounds like a measure of equanimity. There's a unique form of dukkha associated with these large institutions, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. well, thank you very much for sharing. It, it, it's like this morning I, I made a mistake and I couldn't get a person and I dealt with three or four different corporations with a machine and learning that this is the way of the world at the moment. And how can I handle this with equanimity? rather than being so frustrated that things are different than the way I want them to be. Exactly. Exactly. Thank you very much. Any other thoughts, anecdotes, wisdom, questions, or protests are also welcome. So none of you have ill will. Wow. Okay. 
Yes, Tammy, please. Hi, I'm a newcomer. Um, my name is Tammy. Um, well, it's a, it's a short story. I'm dropping off uh, my daughter this morning at school, and she was uh, perhaps um, lost in the, um, the, 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 the views on the drive on the way from home to school. She was unaware that we were arriving at school and was unprepared at the drop-off. Um, she immediately lashed out at me. And uh, and then what what seemed like it was she was lashing out at me, but more like she was upset at herself being unaware, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, the way it presented itself was she said, "Mommy, why did you keep moving the car forward? I'm not ready." I said, "Well, I have to. I'm on the driveway. I need to move forward." And I proceed to add on to the anxiety by saying to her, "Why are you mad at me for this? <laughs> I'm doing what I need to do." So she proceeds to storm out of the car and then uh, and, and just ru- rushed her way into school. Um, yeah, so so this is a lesson as I'm driving away, I'm saying to myself, instead of supporting her and helping her being, being, being letting her know it's all it's okay. It's okay. I, I can drive forward because I can't stop, but you don't need to be mad at yourself and remind her that she's really essentially mad at herself for her own unawareness. Um, I, Instead of that, I added to it. I added uh, to it by telling her, why are you mad at me? <laughs> so so I think it was uh, all around uh, the, the, the sort of uh, bilateral unawareness. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like I was unsupported. Uh, I was not a supportive mom at that moment. It's not a good way to start a school day. So just thought I'd share a little bit of that in terms of, uh, uh, you know, small matters that turn a little bit bigger than it needs to be. Yeah. Thank (laughs) you for sharing. Thank you very much for sharing that, Tammy. And it it, it reminds me, I don't know if you were online yet, but I gave a little bit of a reference to something called the second arrow, which is how we make things worse for ourselves, or in this case, maybe for someone else. And it doesn't have to be a big thing. It can be a very natural very small even reactivity but to begin to recognize that that's the beginning of wisdom right and oh ouch that didn't need to do that in that so thank you anybody else have thoughts anecdotes reflections from your daily life Okay, in that case, I have a question for you, if you're willing to answer it. What does wise or profound attention mean to you? How does it show up for you? I would love to hear sincerely, because each of us are different. Each of us experience our inner lives differently. There's no right answer. And if you don't want to say it out loud, you can also put it in the chat and I'll just read it without your name associated with it. Yes, Lee, hi. Well, I think it's sort of uh, to pay attention to something, to whatever is arising, without 
reactivity. It's very easy to say, but there's always some sort of reaction, sort of pushing away, blaming, judging, whatever. There's something clinging. There's always something. And when this happens, then I just say, oh, yeah, that's the judging mind. Oh, that's ill will. And if I, if I haven't sort of got carried away, but even if I did get carried away, at some point it does stop. It, it seemed to go on longer than I think, actually. It seemed to go on because I'm swept by the flood. But I think it was only a two minutes, a flash flood. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So I appreciate what you're saying, that it's, it can happen in the midst of that flood that, oh, the recognition, oh, comparing mind is happening, judging is happening. And that, that recognition, that's mindfulness. And it's also got that element of the profound attention, the wisdom, because there is the recognition. And as Sayada Utejaniya talks about, that recognition, that's gathering information, that's gathering wisdom. And the laugh that you gave, I think, is also lovely because it's like we don't have to take it so personally. I, these human minds, oh, my goodness, they're out of control sometimes, right? Um, someone also wrote in the chat that they associate wise attention, profound attention with moments of profound sadness. So deep bow to that. I definitely feel that. Charles Lee, you have your hand up. Hi, welcome. Hello, good morning or good day. Uh, yeah, Yonasom uh, Manasakara. I continue to practice and study, uh, having, you know, entered through the dukkha door through through, through su- you know suffering, um, and you know certainly not feeling like I'm suffering in the way that I was about five years ago. Uh, but there is a, a realization that I had been living life and maybe life was just happening to me and I was very good at narratives and editorializing and kind of, you know, putting things into like a nice, neat story that could work for like a short story or a novel or something. Um, But it wasn't quite, it just wasn't quite, I didn't realize it it wasn't quite close. It it was, um, you know, there was distance from, from experience and, uh, and I see wise attention as just getting, you know, getting so close to experience that kind of the, the, the narrative, you know, just, just drops away. Right. Uh, there is, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's really, a, a, you know, for me, it's just, it, it's a non verbal, non, uh, maybe even non cognizing. Or non, just just non-narrative building way of, of 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 being being with life and with emotion. Um, 
So, so yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I've been able to, you know, when somebody said sadness, yeah, that, that, uh, I think my approach to sadness has really been to recognize it and to, and to, and to honestly lean into it and, you know, and, and to really, you know, you know, between the ages of 20 and, and well, probably 15 and like 44, I probably didn't, you know, I probably cried about twice. And then since then, you know, I can cry, you know, just about, you know, about, you know, I don't know, like a, like a commercial or like, or I don't know, my kid does something new or um, so. So, yeah. Beautifully said, Charles. Thank you. Um, this piece about the Yoniso Manasakara, the wise or profound attention being a nonverbal response is, is huge. And that doesn't mean if you're having words happen, it's wrong. It is more the place it's coming from. Is it coming from that rationalizing, thinking, story-making, narrative-building part of the mind, or is it emerging from the depths, emerging from a more holistic, integrated, embodied way of being? And I love, Charles Lee, that you included it can happen in relationship to emotion. And it's that so close that being with touching without needing to have a rationale or even an opinion. And that can be very healing, especially for those of us. I was raised in a family system where sadness was not acknowledged either. And um, sometimes as this Yoniso Manasikara develops, there can be joy at finding even the sadness or joy at the recognition and to allow ourselves to hold both. Oh, not all of what's discovered in mindfulness is good news, as Joseph Goldstein often says, right? In fact, usually at the beginning, it's not. <laughs> so, but, and there's this gift, this, um, phenomenal gift at seeing it and learning to integrate it and letting the sadness or the anger or the even the moments of hostility or snarkiness internally become as ben ming talked about these sources of wisdom it's in how we metabolize it how we're with it that makes it afflictive or wisdom building and sometimes honestly because we're human a little bit of both Mm. Beautiful reflection. Anybody else have a, anything they would like to share? Now we'll pause the recording in case anyone's feeling shy. So thank you all. Thank you for your wisdom, your perspective, your sharing, and most of all for your practice and your sincerity that you bring to this. It's really inspiring to me and moving to me to be with people who are dedicated to letting your own knots undo. Letting your own knots undo. So may our practice here together be of benefit to our own hearts, our own minds, our own lives, and to all of the hearts and lives and minds that we touch and they touch, rippling outwards and outwards. May all beings everywhere 
be happy, safe, and free of suffering. Be well, friends. I look forward to seeing some of you next week. And meanwhile, please notice the difference between careless attention and profound attention. You're welcome to unmute and say goodbye.